Welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, produced by the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia. This is Jordan Rich. This podcast celebrates the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. Today's guest is Taylor Lowe. He's an Emmy Award-winning motion graphics designer and video producer with a long list of IMD credits working for major networks from ABC and NBC and CBS to BET, PBS, and Amazon Prime Video. He's designed motion graphics for Microsoft, Logan's Roadhouse, the Dove Awards, the Stellar Awards, the U.S. Department of Education, Vince Gill and the Time Jumpers, Boy Scouts of America, the list goes on and on. Currently, this very talented young man is sharing his professional experience with the next generation of content creators at the Park Avenue Christian Academy in Florida. And he'll talk with us further about what he's giving back. He's a man of extraordinary talent who faced shame at an early age because he had trouble reading and keeping up. He's kept up really fine, and he's a welcome guest here on Dyslexics Wanted. Taylor Lowe. Let's go back to, to the, the 90s. We'll go back in time a little bit when I was uh, in elementary school, and I absolutely loved school. I loved everything about it. I loved getting pencils and notebooks and just like ready for action, like kindergarten, first grade. I was like, let's go to school. Like, I couldn't wait to go. And so... Um, all in, in about second grade, you know, I, I was um, about halfway through the year, I saw our school put in a gifted program and uh, one of my best friends was in that program. And I did, it was it, for me, it was kind of shrouded in mystery. It's like these these students, they got these cool burgundy reddish binders with all this work and they would go to different special classes and they would do all this gifted things. And and so I'm like, well, I love school. I love challenges. So. I talked to my teacher, teacher, and I said, hey, you know, I would I think I'd like to try this gifted program because I love I love it. And I looked at one of my friends, my best friend's notebook and, uh, you know, he I looked at the work and I could do it like it wasn't beyond my scope of intellectual ability to, to do this work. And so I told my teacher that I would love to do this gifted program. And, and she literally looked me in the eye and she said, you know, you could you could probably do this work. But you are not fast enough. You are you are slow with with your work. And so, you know, when you tell a second grader that they're slow, you basically just told them that they're stupid and mm-hmm. that they can't keep up. And that just hit me like a freight train. It's like, oh, my gosh, like I, I loved school. You know, I, this was something that I was very passionate about. And then it just kind of got dashed with one statement. And so that opened my eyes. And so in class, while I'm, while I'm doing my work and doing the worksheets that I used to love, now I'm looking around and I am the last one done. And I... I, I can't keep up. And then, you know, we're reading out loud in class and all these other students are um, just nailing it. You know, they're reading and they're, mm. they're pronouncing everything properly. And then mm. when I read, like, I'm just so slow. I mispronounce words. I add words when words aren't there. And, you know, it's just so it was just embarrassing for me. And so it was amazing how something that was I was so passionate about just with one comment just opened my eyes to realize that I, I was different and, and that and- I couldn't keep up. It's so interesting because you're a younger guy and you were in the 90s, the 1990s when this happened. If this were the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, even early 80s, we we might expect it from a teacher. I'm not calling out that one teacher except uh, that it's unusual because today I think, I hope that there's more sensitivity to it. So what was the follow-up to that? I mean, second grade, you're hit with this news. Emotionally, it's impactful, but... From a practical standpoint, how did you write uh, the ship, so to speak? It's a great question. And so that happened in third grade. 
um, when we're really starting to hit chapter books really hard. And, you know, we were really excited to read, I think it was Stuart Little was the, the big chapter book that everyone was going to start reading. And, and, you know, and, you know, we had friends in higher grades, it was a smaller school. And so they would say, oh, you get to read Stuart Little in third grade, you're going to love it, it's going to be so great. And so, um, you know, we, we got the chapter books it's about midway through the year again, you know, they, they started passing out the chapter books. And, you know, it's this, this story starts the downer, but it comes with, it ends well. Um, and so I was reading the chapter book and I was, I was way behind everybody. And then without any explanation, my teacher came by and, and grabbed the book out of my hands. And she gave me a, a book for the first, on a first grade reading level. And so while everyone else in the class is reading Stuart Little, I'm reading a first grade level book. And you can imagine, again, that's just like, mm. like why, why, what's wrong with me? Because I know I wasn't unintelligent. Like, why am I, why is this happening to me? And so that's when I just had to take a step back and say, you know what? It, it, I'm not wrong here. I know that I'm not dumb. I know that I'm not stupid. And so it was, it was kind of a crossroad point in my life where it's like, either I'm going to believe what they're telling me and that I'm just slow and stupid and can't keep up or I'm going to spend the rest of my life proving them wrong. And that's a hard decision for a third grader to make. And no third grader should ever have to make that decision. But I'm thankful every single day that I made the decision to try to prove everybody wrong. And, you know, and I've spent the rest of my life showing that no matter, I mean, I didn't know I had dyslexia at the time, but that I could achieve, you know, that, that I wasn't the person that they were telling me that I was. Now, did your parents play a pivotal role in helping you through this or were other mentors along the way, even at third grade? That was the thing. I was, there was such a level of, of shame with it that I hid it from, from everyone. You know, my, my parents were, they, I, I made good, I was making good grades, but I was just really slow with, with it. And I found I had to develop along the way a lot of um, ways to compensate for my inabilities in, in the classroom. And so I think, and that's the, the struggle that I think we have in our classrooms even today as an educator is that so many of our dyslexic are hiding in plain sight. You know, they have dyslexia, but they've come up with these compensatory, this, these ways to compensate um, to get the grades, but they may not be getting the full education mm. that they need. Like I learned very early on how to beat a spelling test. I can't spell to save my life, but I got good <laughs> grades in spelling because I learned how to beat a spelling test. Not that I was cheating. Don't think I'm trying to be, you know, I'm not, you know, trying to be dishonest with my sport, but I just learned how to beat a spelling test. And so there's all kinds of ways that you could hide in plain sight and no one would ever know. And that's a sign of, in my opinion, intelligence and wit and, and being clever and resourceful and resilient and all those things. Now, you have a natural, it seems, aptitude for computers and We'll talk about your career moves and some of the really exciting things you've done. But was that something that even in second, third grade, you uh, you sort of gravitated to? I mean, talk a little bit about your relationship with the digital world, if you would. Absolutely. Um, I received the love of technology from my mother. She was very much into computers from very, very early on. I mean, we had the you know, from the very, the first IBM computer you could get in your house, we had one. And so I would always get her hand-me-downs. And so I was learning word processing at a very, very early age. And just all these, she saw technology as the future. And she wanted to make sure that I was as equipped as possible to get my hands on the technology as, as soon as possible. So that's how my, my love of technology happened. And it just kind of, it just, it just grew from there. And, and thankfully technology today is actually helping me compensate with dyslexia. So I, I use a lot of technology-based assistance to be able to navigate the world as a dyslexic. And you're also, as a role that you love as the teacher, you're able to help these children, these students 
and uh, probably based on your own experiences, uh, guide them through uh, the maze of dyslexia or other learning issues, I'm guessing. Absolutely. And I think I, I never want a student to feel how I felt. You know, I, I remember what it was like. I remember the shame. And so I am very sensitive with my students. I also have, I, I mentor the dyslexic students here at our school. I work with our teachers to make sure that all of our curriculum is as inclusive as absolutely possible. I show all of the, the technology-based assistance because, you know, I, I, school didn't work for me until I got, I went for my master's degree which is crazy to think I, I on my undergraduate degree was impossible, but it wasn't until I attended full sale university that school worked for me. That was the first time I experienced inclusive curriculum design. And so I take from that and I bring that to my students, real world education at full sale. It's not rote learning. It's not, you know, listen to the teacher, write it back down. And then we're going to take a test on what you remember because the dyslexic mind has a hard time with that. But when you go to a place like full sale, it's, you know, watch this video, do some research here, talk to these people, talk with your peers, and then create with the knowledge that you have acquired. And that is in the dyslexia wheelhouse. And and my time at full sale was really a, a, a redemption tale for me because I was, I, I failed, I didn't fail, but I felt like I failed at all things academic until I went to that program. And, you know, we, we, I was working so hard and in school so hard for me, it takes me forever to do anything. And so, you know, I, I flew down to central Florida because I did the program online you know, and we're lining up on the stage and, you know, there's, they're doing all the names of everyone that that's graduating. And then um, they, and the announcer says, and the valedictorian of this class. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, they've made a mistake. It's definitely not me. It's gotta be the person behind me. So I'm like looking around, like trying to figure out, okay, who do I have to tell to get in front of me? So this is not embarrassing. I don't walk out on stage. And then I saw my name on this massive led wall that said I was a valedictorian. I was just like floored you know, and, and, and that was just like all these years of shame went away. And so it, it finally, I was, you know, I was acknowledged for my academic ability. And that's what I want for my students. I don't want them to have to wait until the end of, you know, they're, they're in a master's program or wherever they are. I want them to have that now where like, there's no shame in having dyslexia. There's no shame in needing to assistance with what you, because dyslexic mind is a, is a beautiful thing. You know, we have these dyslexic kids, you go to art class and you watch them and I'm just floored. I'm like, I'm going to be working for you someday. <laughs> like I had to be on your good side. And so I never want them to feel that shame. So I'm taking all that experience that I've had through my educational um, journey and bringing that down to our students now to, to try to better equip them so that they, they have the confidence to take, take on life and so they can be successful with it. Let's talk further about Park Avenue Christian Academy because you're talking to me mm-hmm. from a movie theater room that looks state-of-the-art, and I know you have a great time working with students, but talk a little bit about what the mission statement is of Park Avenue. Oh, sure. So, um, well, obviously, we want, to, we want to equip our students in whatever direction in life they want to go. We want them to be ready. We want to prepare them not only physically, mentally, but spiritually. We want to create the whole student to, to be prepared to take on life. Um, and it is my charge here. I, I founded and direct our media academy. And I'm very passionate about digital content creation. And, you know, when I, I went to um, a, a state school before I went to Full Sail University, and I didn't feel prepared when I left that state school to take on the industry. The, the video production industry is very, any, any content creation, it's very competitive, very competitive. And I was scared to death to, set, to, to just open that door and say, I'm ready for the industry. And so I made a promise to myself then that if I was ever an opportunity to invest into students so they can be better prepared when it's their turn to get in the industry, that I was going to do it. 
And mm. so our my my mission here at this school is not only to uphold all of our technology to the highest standards possible, but also to equip the next generation of digital content creators uh, with industry standard software. I mean, we're teaching fourth graders and fifth graders how to use uh, the Adobe Creative Cloud Suite so that when they're ready to hop out into the industry, they're going to be ready. So if they do decide to go to a media college like Full Sail, they're going to be ready and they're going to have mm. a, a huge leg up over other students. I equate it to the modern day trade school approach. And, and it makes so much sense because these kids are not only brilliant and, and sharp and creative, but they are learning what is the future and what's the present in the future. And you've proven that in your own career. I mean, imagine uh, a world without all of these opportunities. It, it would be a, a, a might more difficult for you and people like you. So it's a perfect storm right now, isn't it, for uh, creative people to learn at a place like Park Avenue? Absolutely. And, you know, this whole this whole academy that we put together was was based off of a theory. And we had a vacation Bible school, uh, I guess, five years ago, and they needed a media class. They wanted some sort of technology, something for our students. And I'm like, let's just see. Let's just throw it out there. Let's let's take some fourth and fifth graders and let's see if we can teach them After Effects. Let's see if they can animate something. And so I went and I ripped out. Um, the sprites from Mario, like the old school Mario, like from the mm. old Nintendo. And like our, our challenge was we're going to animate Mario jumping around the level, getting coins and grabbing the flag at the end. I'm like, I have no idea if this is going to work. This may completely blow up in our face. This may be a complete failure, but it worked. And mm. I was so impressed. Like there's something here, like this next generation coming up, they pick up on stuff so fast and they can. And I think we are doing them a great disservice if we do not invest into them now because if we invest them now there's no telling where they're going to be when it's when it's their time you're, you're a great spokesman for that kind of model i couldn't agree more i want to backtrack a little bit because your imdb credits are immense you've got a lot of stuff in your curriculum vitae that i want to touch on and how did you break into the quote-unquote industry we're talking about video animation you're working for everybody from pbs to fox i mean uh so many great projects what was the first one do you remember the first one I did, and I, I owe it all to my mentor and my friend and was a, 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 my professor at the time. His name is Michael Johnson. He's a fantastic director, producer. And um, he was, he, I always say I wanted to grow up to be him. And I'm on my way to try to do it. <laughs> you know, he was very active in the industry in college. When I was in college and he was a college professor. And so he's, you know, he's doing all these huge shows and he brings all his knowledge back to, to, to share with us. And so um, you know, he just saw some of my work in the lab. And that's what I tell my students all the time is, you know, you never know who's watching and you want to be at your best when people are watching. And so he saw me working in the lab. I was there when the door was unlocked and when, it, you know, they had to kick me out. And, and so he, he saw that dedication and he saw what I was doing. He said, hey, I've got a I've got a conference coming up and um, I'd like you to do some graphics for it. And I thought, OK, that's fine. You know, it, it turns out it was a, it was a conference for CC Winans. And, you know, there's all these huge, you know, gospel acts that were performing. Um, I think well, Whitney Houston was actually a guest speaker at that. And so I say yes to this. And I'm like, that's no big deal. But in my mind, I'm like freaking out, like, oh, my gosh, this is a huge deal. I don't know what I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm panicking. Um, but that was kind of my leg in, into the industry, and it just kind of went from there. I've been very blessed. I, I worked, I got a, a job right away as soon as I graduated as an intern at a, at a production post-production facility. I started as kind of like the assistant editor and worked my way up to lead motion graphics designer. So it's just hard work and dedication. 
is would, where, where would, it came from. Would you be kind enough to just, for anybody out there who's a little unsure of what that means, define motion graphics design, just so we know where okay. we're t- coming from? Absolutely. So um, any kind of moving graphical element on the screen is what, what a graphic designer does. So if you take the most basic of it, you know, you watch CNN or any of the news networks, see that like the ticker crawl that goes across or they have the thing that comes up that says breaking news. And it has like this cool animated text that swings around and lights flashing and whatever. Um, that's all motion graphics. And motion graphics, you can also get in the world of visual effects. And I've done a lot of that as well. So any kind of graphical manipulation of images on the screen uh, would, would be a motion graphic. I would say that if that second grade teacher were here now and knew of you, and maybe she does or he does somewhere, but uh, presented with the idea that you're creating things that are multidimensional, not just three-dimensional at times, they're moving, they have sequence, they are actually mathematically precise, I think you would blow their socks off. I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, it. <laughs> you did it, and you're still doing it. All right, I got to ask you one fun one. Uh, it says here you worked with Snoop Dogg in his <laughs> yes. first ever gospel performance. That has to be something memorable. It was, and that that is a that is a a, a long story, a fun story. I'll give you I'll give you the quick of it. It was um I was very fortunate and blessed to work for the uh, the Super Bowl gospel celebration. And that happens every year. It's the only NFL-sanctioned music event. And uh, Snoop Dogg had just released a gospel album. And I think it was in Minnesota. It was some very cold state that I had to go to. I, don't, I, I just got on the plane, showed up, and made graphics. That, that's, we were working around the <laughs> clock on this show. I don't even know where I was. Um, I remember it being very cold. And um, I was it was kind of like a last minute thing or we, he needed some, some elements for the screen to, to go along with his, the, the song that he was singing with, um, I think the Rance Allen group. And so it was, it was just fun. It was like getting to listen to his music and then figure out what visually would go well with, um, what he was saying and the, and the lyrics that it was, that were going on. So it was a very, very fun project. It was very cold there, but it was a very, very fun project to, to work on. I, I imagine you share stories with your students and, uh, I can just tell by meeting you for the first time and chatting with you that this exuberance and this enthusiasm is, is contagious. I, I, cause I've been in the business on my end a lot longer than you've been alive. And I got to tell you, man, I love every minute of it. I can't wait to get up in the morning and work on the next project. It, that's the kind of thing that we need to instill in all students, that kind of excitement for a, a work, for the work. Would you agree? I, I 100%. And one thing that I love to share with my students is, you know, it's not all, it's not all glamour. It's not all glitz and glam. There's hard, like, you know, you've been in the street a very long time. It's hard. You know, there's no, we don't wake up in the morning and push the easy button and everything is done. I, I'm working on a, a project right now for a TV show and it's hard, you know, it's frustrating at times, but there, like, there's no easy button, but you just got to stay with it. And it's a, it's a, such a rewarding and fun industry. You get to go and do and see so many cool things, but it's very difficult. It's hard. And I think that it's very important to share that with my students. We're like, here's a final product, but let me tell you how I got here because this was, this is hard. You know, um, I love to show them the end results and what, what's going to be expected of them if they are traveling down this path to be in this digital content creation 
sphere that we live in. So I love taking them on college visits. I love taking them to, to, to full sale to see the campus. Like this is where you're, this is the end goal. You know, this is where you want to go. This is what you're going to see. Now let's show you how to get there. Mm. Just so the expectations are realistic and that they know that, you know, if you go and you're a motion graphics designer or you're a video producer, sometimes you're going to work 16 hour days overnight until a project is done. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like it's not like school where like the bell rings and we're done. Like, you know, you, you have to do to get to the project is done. And so, um, it's just, it's, I, I love sharing it with my students and they love it too. And it's just really, it's really cool to get them that real world hands-on experience as, as soon as possible, just so they know, you know, just so they're fully exposed to everything. Taylor, at this point, before we wrap up, would it be okay for me to ask you about the role that faith has played in your life and whether or not you were a child of faith when you had that first encounter with dyslexia in second grade? That is an excellent question. And I am very much, you know, at the core of me is my faith. I'm a Christian. I'm a firm believer that, you know, Jesus Christ died for me on the cross for my sins. And there's no way to get to heaven through him. And that's what we're teaching our students here. And we're also instilling in them that Christ-like character to have. And, you know, that has been the backbone of this. Like whenever I I know it's hard, it's hard to tell yourself sometimes and believe it, even though you know that it's true that you were built the way God made you to be. Even though you have a what the world considers a learning disability, and I consider it a gift, but it's, it, you're built how you were supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be any other way. There's not supposed to be a tailor that does not have dyslexia that can't do things. And so it's hard when you know you can't read something. Like you go to a restaurant, and I can't read this menu because the letter spacing is just so messed up that I can't read it. But I have to, it's easy to get discouraged, but then I have to think, you know, I'm built this way for a reason. And while I may struggle in some areas where other people soar, I soar in some areas where people struggle. And so it's, it's, it's a kind of a give and take relationship, but at the core of me, I do believe it. And that's what I tell my students here too. You know, I, I see how frustrated they get and when their other students are, are doing, you know, faster than them. But I say, look, God made you this way. You know, you are, you are how you are supposed to be because you are designed with a specific purpose. And, you know, that is how, that's your walk. That's what you're supposed to do. So don't, don't be discouraged because I tell you, there's probably some students that look at you in, in whatever class at room where you're just killing it. And they're like, I wish I could be like them. Like, yeah. it's my goal for someone to say, you know, I wish I was dyslexic because you guys are doing incre- incredible things. You know, maybe that's going to be something to say someday. Um, but that, it, I think it's very important to keep that foundation when the world comes at you to know you are built the way that you're supposed to be built and designed ex- specifically how you're supposed to be designed. Well, that's a message I think we can all agree on, particularly on this podcast. It's called Dyslexics Wanted, and we want to hear from people like you, and your inspirational tone is is so welcome at this point. So let's just give a plug to the school, and if you want to mention the school's website so people can find out more, and uh, and also uh, to follow you, is it best to just look at your IMDB page to see where you are or what? Uh, Probably LinkedIn, and I'll give you my LinkedIn sure. uh, in, for information. Um, but yeah, we are Park Avenue Christian Academy. We are located in Titusville, Florida. If you see the rockets being launched on television, that's right in our neighborhood. It's right across the, the Indian River from us. So when you see them on TV, we feel it shaking our walls. Right. Um, but you can see us, uh, you can check us out online at uh, pacafl.org. That's P A C A F L.org. And, uh, you know, we're having so much fun here with our students and, you know, we're just thriving in education and we're just, we, we wake up every day, all of our passion educators is ready to, to equip this next generation to make it happen. And your LinkedIn connection. So folks can find you there is what? Sure. It is, uh, it's linkedin.com. I think it's forward slash I N forward slash, and then it's Taylor dash dash low. That's L O W E. You get two dashes. 
two dash because someone took the other dash i'm like why, <laughs> why are you taking my dashes like i wanted to be taylor low on there but someone uh, beat me well, to you, it what, you're, what you, you're what the only you taylor low i care about right now and we we know <laughs> you've been delightful to chat with and uh, most forthcoming and i really appreciate it and uh, uh, as somebody in the industry i have so much respect and admiration for people who do things uh, that i don't do um, and they often feel the same but I really appreciate your your talent and your enthusiasm. It's been great having you. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Taylor Lowe teaches at the Park Avenue Christian Academy in Florida and is currently working on projects for film, television, music, and more. A very talented young man. Does not let dyslexia slow him down one bit. And thanks for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. Please feel free to contact us at our new web address, dyslexicswanted.org. That's dyslexicswanted.org. We welcome guest or topic suggestions. We want to share your story. Dyslexics Wanted is a production of the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia.